right. Well, thank you so much for being here. One of the ways that we like to challenge people in their faith is by creating events in secluded areas near the beach on Friday the 13th. So if you're brave enough, join us in Santa Cruz for our beach bonfire. Hopefully it'll be a safe evening. Uh, but thank you so much for being here today. My name is Daniel. I'm part of the team, and we're going to continue in the series that we started a few weeks ago called Going Places. And I think it's appropriate for this summertime season because a lot of us are traveling, we're going places, and we're having a good time. But the reason why we started this series is because it was born out of this deep conviction with who we are as a community and what we believe about God, and that is that God has a plan for every single one of our lives. He has a purpose and a vision for every life that has been created. And so that is really, for us, the journey of faith that God takes us on. And what we're realizing is that the journey of faith has more to do with who we're becoming than where we're going in our destination. And I love that. And I love thinking about this journey of faith and this life that we're on because with every journey there are what we call milestones. And these milestones are set up along the path to help you know that you're making progress along the way. And when it comes to faith, I feel like faith sometimes for a lot of us is like being asked by a friend to return an item to the mall. And they're asking you to return this item to a store that you've never been at, at a mall you've never been there before. And so when you walk into a big mall and you're looking for a store that you've never been to, what's the first thing that you do? You go to the directory, you find the roadmap, and it helps you to sort of create a framework for where you are and where you're trying to go. And I think sometimes in faith, we enter into this family of faith, and we don't know exactly what it's supposed to produce in our life. We don't know what it's supposed to do in us. And so this series really has been a conversation identifying some of those milestones. Who are we supposed to become in the process of faith? Who are we supposed to become on this journey? What is God intending to do with our life. And so that's what this series has been about. And so I want to take a quick moment to remind us a little bit about what we've talked about over the last few weeks. Uh, in stage one, we talked about being marked by faith, being marked by faith. And what that meant for us, it was really a conversation about salvation and baptism. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And then why do we get baptized? And for us, salvation really is this phenomenon that happens when you come to this place in your life where you realize that what you have and what you're doing is not quite as good as what Jesus offers, that Jesus offers something so much better. And so it is this process, this phenomenon of turning from our sin, turning from running our own lives and turning to trust in the promises of God. And so that is this phenomenon that happens in salvation. And then baptism is this outward expression of the inward transformation that has happened as a result of us trusting in Jesus. So that's sort of the first stage of the journey, the first milestone being marked by faith. The second stage is being merged to a community. And what we made a case for as we were studying the book of Acts is that spiritual transformation, life transformation happens best in the context of community. It is really God's incubator for spiritual growth that a lot of us sometimes can sort of get out of the habit of being a part of a Christian community. And what we'll notice is that over time we'll slowly start to see limitations in the development of our spiritual lives. And so we talked about how important it is to be merged to a community if we hoped to continue to grow spiritually. And then last week, we started a two-part message, the first two-part message in the history of Eden Church, and it was about being made for impact, made for impact. And what this conversation was really about was this 
process of transformation that happens in, the, in your spiritual life. You go from becoming a consumer to becoming a contributor. Now, the first few stages, you're receiving, you're understanding, you're growing, you're learning, you're developing, but there's a point in every person's life where it is time for you to become a contributor. And so part of that process is understanding what you have been gifted to do, understanding what you have been wired to do in your purpose in this life. And so uh, today we're going to continue that two-part message. Last week was part number one. This is the second part. And we're going to look in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts. If not, we have all the sentences up on the screen. But we'll be in Acts chapter 9. And we talked about this a little bit each time as we're reorienting ourselves to uh, the book of Acts. But the book of Acts was really a description. It's the story of the growth of the early church. And a guy named Luke wrote this book to help people understand why the early church had the type of impact that it did. Because if we understood the climate and the culture of the first century world, the early church wasn't the only group of people that were claiming to have a divine word from God. And so the question was, is why did the early church emerge in, uh, in, in such unique fashion compared to every other group that claimed the same thing? And this is what we learned. And I want to help you guys uh, remember this truth because I think that if anyone ever asked you, they're trying to do like a Bible quiz and they're trying to show you up because you guys probably have people do that all the time in your life asking you about the Bible. But if they ever said, Bob, what? I mean, what is the book of Acts all about? What is it really all about? This is what it's about. It's about a community of people, or at least this is the truth that we learned from the book of Acts, that a community of people empowered by the Holy Spirit is an unstoppable force, okay? A community of people empowered by the Holy Spirit is an unstoppable force. So let's try to say that together. Ready? I'll say one little phrase. You repeat after me. I'll say another little phrase, and so on and so forth until I finish the sentence. A community of people empowered by the Holy Spirit is an unstoppable force. I know it's early in the morning, so we're going to try that one more time. A community of people empowered by the Holy Spirit is an unstoppable force. Now, the only reason why I wanted you to repeat that is because I want that to sort of start to sink into your mind that we are a community of people here at Eden Church empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we should not view ourselves as like this minority victim mentality in a culture of people that may not believe what we believe. But the truth is, is that we are a community of people that have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, and because of that truth, we are an unstoppable force in our community. And I love that. And that is what the book of Acts displays over and over again. Sometimes in our context, we may think if we don't have the best parking lot or if we don't have the nicest facility or if our sound system isn't working right on a particular Sunday, that's going to limit our growth. But when we look at the context of the early church, these were people who were being arrested for their faith. They were being killed. And yet there was nothing that anyone could do to limit the growth of this church. They could not stop these people from reaching their community with the message of hope in Jesus, and it is because of the Holy Spirit. That is sort of the secret sauce of the early church that Luke was describing throughout the book of Acts. And the way that he does it is he recounts or tells the story 
of the ministry or the work of two early church leaders. The first book, the first half of the book of Acts talks about the work and the life of the Apostle Peter. And the second part of the book of Acts talks about the work and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And so that's where we picked up last week was sort of the beginning of Paul's journey of faith. And if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, or maybe you were here last week, we learned that Paul had a really interesting story, right? Paul's name actually used to be Saul, and he hated Christians. In fact, he was bent on stamping out this movement of Christianity in the first century. And so I like to remind people that when we talk about the Apostle Paul, most of us remember him as this early church leader. He's writing these letters to the early church to help them understand how to live out their faith. But that wasn't Paul's whole story. That Paul at one point was this government official that ordered the death of Christians. He was this angry, vile person. He wasn't a Ned Flanders kind of Christian. Does anyone know Ned Flanders from The Simpsons? Okay, and that's okay if you are. Because I feel like maybe I kind of am, maybe not, but, but that wasn't Paul. Paul was this angry, frustrated, influential figure in the first century who hated Christians. He reminds me of like your friend on social media who always posts angry posts. Do you ever have friends like that? I have friends like that. And the thing that frustrates me, it's okay if, they wanna, if they're angry and they're posting stuff about politics or whatever they're angry about. The thing that frustrates me is when they tag me in the post. And it shows up on my, my, my timeline, and I'm like, I don't even agree with what you're saying. But, and I, if you're not checking your social media a lot, then that thing is up there. People are on your page. They're thinking things about you. But that was Paul. Paul was that angry guy that maybe you show up to church, and you're like, man, that guy just needs a hug. Right? Do you ever feel like that? Like you're not mad at them for being angry or grumpy. You just realize that there is something deep within inside that person that is hurting them. That was Paul. But then something happened. One day as Paul was traveling from Jerusalem to arrest more Christians, Jesus supernaturally appeared to him with the intention of redirecting his life. And I love Paul's story. I love how Jesus encountered Paul and challenged Paul's behavior so that he could redirect his life. And this is where we picked up last week, where God invited a man named Ananias to be a part of Paul's story. He invited Ananias to encounter Paul and to be a part of inviting him into the family of faith. Paul was blinded on the road to Damascus. Jesus told him to change his direction, no longer to go where he was going, and then told him to go back to the city. And there he would find a man who would give him more instruction. And that man was Ananias. And so Jesus gives Ananias this instructions, and this is how Ananias responds. He says, But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Ananias, understandably, was a little bit cautious to develop a relationship with the Apostle Paul because he knew his story. He knew his background. He knew that Paul could be a danger to his life. And I think that that's interesting that sometimes we see the same thing in a different light than the way that God sees something. Do you guys remember a few years ago when there was that big social media argument about whether or not the dress was black and blue or gold and white? Do you remember that? And people were looking at the same image 
But for some reason, based on their perspective and their wiring in their brain and their eyes, they were seeing completely different images. And I love how in this moment, it's almost a picture of that, where God sees this as an opportunity and all that Ananias could see was it, see it as an obstacle. Like God saw the potential that Paul's life could have, but all that Ananias could see was his past. And I think that that's sometimes the way that we operate in our own lives. Some of us have determined the potential of our future based on decisions that we've made in the past. We have capped our growth because of how we see who we were in the past. And we have determined that there is no way for us to break out of this mold of who we were at our worst when God sees the potential of who we could become at our best. But I love stories like these because it shows us that God has this amazing vision and plan for our life. So Ananias tells God that he's not sure he wants to Engage in that relationship, but listen to the way that God responds to Ananias. It says, But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles, any non Jewish person, and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. So, in other words, Jesus is saying to Ananias, You need to go because The man who you think is going to destroy the movement is actually my plan to spread the gospel in the world. He is actually my plan to reach the world with the message of hope. So verse 17 says, So Ananias went and he found Saul. He laid his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. The rest was history. From this point forward, Paul began to progressively understand the purpose for his life. And he went on to become one of the most significant figures in the history of the Christian movement other than Jesus himself. Paul did more for the growth of Christianity than any other single figure in human history. But at one point... The Apostle Paul was a man named Saul who hated, despised, and was bent on destroying Christianity. I really think that that is the power of vision. That is what vision can do in your life. Is that it can turn you from being a person that operates without vision and without hope and without clarity about your path or your destination to becoming a person who is single, single-mindedly laser-focused in everything that they do. Proverbs 29.18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. The word for vision in this verse is a Hebrew word, and you pronounce it kazon. kazon. And kazon means to have a dream or a revelation or a vision. And so what this verse is saying is that Vision will direct your life. Vision is the thing that keeps you from being a person in motion without any progress. Have you guys ever run on a treadmill? That's kind of like my thing, or an elliptical, because it kind of takes off the, the, the force, or I don't know. I hurt after I run, but the elliptical is helpful. And I love the elliptical because what it does is it keeps me like in this safe environment that's air-conditioned. There's usually a fan 
somewhere, and I don't have to uh, embark on the main streets of Winchester, San Jose, and I can just stay in my nice little room and be nice and comfortable and, and wonderful, and I don't have to go anywhere. And the cool thing about elliptical is that you can exert a lot of energy and not make a lot of progress, right? You can spend a lot of energy and not actually go anywhere. Sometimes that is a picture of our life without vision, that we are pushing hard week after week, day after day, month after month, but there really is no clear end goal in sight for us. We are just living day by day, surviving week by week, but there's nothing that we are working toward. There's no hope that we have in our life that we're making progress toward. It's like we're on an elliptical. We're tired, we're worn out, we're sweaty, we're stinky, and we have not made any progress in our life. It's possible to live a life without vision. When there's no vision for our marriage, it oftentimes ends in divorce. When there's no vision for financial freedom, it's possible to be born in a wealthy place and end up living paycheck to paycheck. When there's no vision for our future, it is so easy to waste the hours in our day. And so many of us can go through life without vision without dreams, without an understanding of the purpose for why we were created, without an understanding of our own wiring. And so the first principle, I think that if we can grasp today, it is the belief that God has a vision for every single one of our lives. In the New Testament, it talks about this all the time, these unique gifts that God imparts to believers. And the unique gift is given to every believer, not so that we can benefit ourselves, but it is for the purpose of fulfilling the kingdom of God here on earth. But that is how we make our unique contribution in this world is by embracing this truth that God has a plan for every single one of our lives. That he has a unique vision, the same type of vision that he had for Paul's life. He has a vision for your life. And what I've learned about general vision and specific vision is is interesting. And, And I don't know if it's true in all scenarios, but you can listen to this and determine if it works for you. But I think that God has a general purpose for all of our lives. And we understand that purpose as we read the Bible, right? We read the Bible that God wants us to live a holy life so that we can have peace in our hearts. He wants us to be in a relationship with God. He wants us to have community with friends. He wants us to live and be obedient to his word. Those are like general principles that we live our life by. But I think the more difficult thing comes when we're trying to discern what our unique purposes in this life like we know we want to follow God and have a relationship with him but how do you know what you are supposed to be doing with every hour of your day that's the challenging part that's the difficult part and I think that we discover God's general purpose for our life in his word but I think that we discover our unique and specific purpose for our life by living out God's truth Because it is so easy. I once read a a research article that talked about the difference between qualitative production and quantitative production. And so what they did is they asked uh, two groups of Boy Scouts to build birdhouses. And they asked the first group, Group A, to take their time in planning out the best well-structured birdhouse that they can plan. And so 
They said they wanted them to do all the difficult work up front of planning and preparing, and then finally, at the end of it, to construct the best possible birdhouse that they, can construct, that they could construct. And then they asked the second group of Boy Scouts, they said, we want you to make as many birdhouses as you can in a given amount of time. And this is what they found, that the group that was making the, doing the qualitative part of the research actually produced the, the, the best quality birdhouse. Because what they learned was over time was how to refine the structure of the birdhouse as they made one over and over and over again. It was this refining process as they were building. And they said the group that was focused on the qualitative building of the birdhouse actually didn't have the experience to know if their their plans would work. And so sometimes for us, as we are determining God's calling in our life, it is not like we wake up one morning and we say, this is what I'm meant to do. But part of the process is that we're out there trying things. We're out serving in ministry. We're out participating in the life of a church. We're out using things that we think we're passionate about. And over time, God will begin to reveal to us what we're most effective at. That is how we discover God's gifting and wiring and purpose for our life. It is not always a supernatural experience. The supernatural part of it is that we are choosing to follow Jesus in the process. And I love that God has a unique vision for our lives, for every single one of us. And that vision, if it is from God, is always intended to benefit the lives of people around us. That is the only type of vision that God gives to people. It is not a vision for your own self-edification. That when God gives you a vision and when he makes clear that purpose in your life, it is not so that you could be more comfortable. It is not that you could rest more. Actually, if you are working really hard, you probably should rest. But the goal of God's purpose and vision for your life is not for you. Look at what God called Ananias to do. He called him to do something that he really didn't want to. But he knew that If Ananias would be obedient, then Ananias would play a role in ushering in one of the most significant figures in Christian history into the family of faith. He invited Ananias to be a part of that, but it wasn't for him. And then when we look at what God was calling Paul to do, it wasn't so that Paul could be this grand, famous figure in Christian history, but he wanted Paul to take the message of Jesus to places that it had never been shared before. And if you know Paul's story, you know that Paul suffered more than anyone else under the hands of persecution and government for that sake. So whenever God calls us, it is rarely, if ever, for ourselves. He is calling us to impact the world for him. What I also love about this passage is it tells us a lot about the God that we serve. One of my favorite birthday parties ever, and I don't know if I'd call it a birthday party, but one of my favorite birthday experiences happened a few years ago, and we were living in Texas, and I think that we had maybe just moved out there for maybe about a year and a half, and we were still getting to know people. We didn't have a lot of friends, and that's, you know, on your birthday, that's kind of sad to not have friends where you live. And, uh, and I remember we had just joined this small group. Actually, we started the small group, and we were getting to know some of these people, But anyways, it was my birthday, and no one said happy birthday to me at church, and whatever, you know, no big deal. I was learning how to become a man at that point, and, you know, it ain't about you. 
And, uh, and so I thought, oh, okay, Kayla must not have told anyone about my birthday, which is great because I didn't really even want her to. And, but she was like, hey, but I want to celebrate this special day with you. I want you to feel special and, and welcome. And so we went to our favorite rest- Mexican restaurant, which was Chewy's in, in Texas. And I remember walking up the stairs into one of the rooms, and I see one of our friends from Sunday school. I was like, hey, look, Doug and Laura here. And, and then I noticed across the table, all of our friends from our small group had shown up and did a surprise birthday party. And it was so special. They had balloons and a cake, and I got the biggest piece of cake, and it was wonderful. But I think what was so special about that moment was to think that my wife had orchestrated all these little details without me knowing so that she could show me how much she loved me. She called people, she texted them, she called the restaurant, she got the cake, she got the decorations, she set it out on the table, she was secretively sneaking all these little notes to people all along the way, I didn't notice anything, and in the end I got to celebrate this moment with a community of people I loved, but it was all tied back to this orchestrating of events that my wife had set into motion. And when I look at this event that we're reading of of Paul's conversion, I think, look at all these things that God would do to bring this person to faith. Look at all these things that God was willing to do, all these other people he was willing to get involved into this moment so that Paul could understand the vision for his life. And I think that that happens all the time. That we are here as a result of God orchestrating events that are completely outside of our control for our benefit. We did nothing for it. But because of God's love for every single one of our lives, he moved someone here and moved them there and got them into a meeting with this person. And slowly you begin your path toward faith in Jesus and that relationship with Jesus. I love telling stories of life change in our own community. But this past week, a group of people from our church went to a conference in Southern California and something so special happened that one of the people on our team did this. So let's go ahead and show that, and we'll talk about it. You in there? So that was a short video of a baptism that took place in Southern California at a church conference that we were at. And I love Tommy's story. That was Tommy Nguyen. And I love his story because I think if you were to ask Tommy two years ago from this point, if he could have ever imagined that moment happening in his life, I guarantee you he would say absolutely not. Because Tommy was on like this trajectory. He had graduated from college He had a job opportunity in Chicago where he had interned summers before, had a great relationship with the company. And after graduation, he had all of his plans ready to go. I'm moving to Chicago to begin my career with this company. But shortly before the school year ended, Tommy went to this job uh, fair on campus. And he didn't really know why he went. He just kind of went because he was there. And so he showed up and he met a few people, a few companies within his industry, signed up. Uh, did an interview, and one of the companies called Tommy back very shortly after. And they called him with a job offer in Cupertino, California. Uh, Their company was being contracted to work at the new Apple spaceship headquarters. And so Tommy moves to California from Indiana, 
and he begins working at this company. Shortly thereafter, his girlfriend moves to California, Sophie. And then Sophie joins, starts a company, joins a business networking group, meets a guy named Rick Trevino. You all know Rick. He's been here since the very beginning. And Rick, who was on the journey of faith himself, decides to invite Sophie to a Father's Day event. So Sophie comes and leaves, and no one ever sees her. It's like a, like a flare. She was in and out, right? She didn't know anybody in and out. But she kept coming back, and she kept coming back, and she kept coming back until one day we were announcing that we were launching groups. And she was so nervous, she didn't know if she wanted to sign up because, you know, if you fill out that info card, we're going to call you. <laughs> and so she signs up. She joins the group. A few months later, she makes the decision to follow Jesus. Now, the interesting thing about Sophie and Tommy is they both grew up in traditional Buddhist homes. And so this step for Sophie to take into the life of following Jesus was not a step that a lot of us take. I grew up where my family was excited when I told them that we were followers of Jesus. And Sophie has a great family, and so does Tommy, and they support these decisions. But still, it's hard to sort of take a step out of what has been traditionally your environment. And so she kept coming. She kept telling Tommy about all these things. And Tommy, what I love about Tommy is that he did not take this decision lightly. Like even to show up to church but he eventually came, and when he came, he was like, man, there is something different about this place. And I love it when people describe Eden as a place with good vibes, right? Because I like to say it's the Holy Spirit, but it feels like good vibes, right? you got good people and sweet people who are singing praises to Jesus. And so Tommy comes, and he keeps coming, and he keeps coming, and then he joins our Alpha group, and we're able to have these conversations and it's so interesting on the journey of faith is that you'll begin to sense that God is pressing something on your heart right before you're about to make a big decision. And it doesn't feel good. It's like heartburn, right? It, it helps to indicate to you that there is something going on inside. And so Tommy keeps coming and he keeps coming and he keeps coming. And pretty soon the pressure for Tommy sort of boiled over in this moment where he had finally admitted and confessed that he was a follower of Jesus. And when that happened, Tommy was overwhelmed at the worship night that was happening uh, here at this church. And he, and he made the decision, is there any way that I could get baptized? Because he want, part of him wanted to wait till he could come back and be baptized with this community, but he was so moved by the experience that he had with Jesus that he it sort of bubbled over into this moment of baptism. And so we baptized Tommy, and it was such a powerful moment. And really, this last week in the life of our church has been a powerful week. We have seen four people get baptized at Eden Church over the last week. We have a fifth person getting baptized this Saturday. And so I love it when we get to see these moments of life transformation where God has been at work in people's heart, they've been faithful to continue exploring life with Jesus in community, and they make that leap of faith. I hope that every single one of us understands that God would do anything to help you lean into the vision that He created for your life. And really, that is the gospel that Jesus came into our world so that we wouldn't continue to live this life separated from him, but that we could live life and live it to its fullest degree through a relationship with him.
today is really about helping us come to this point. And maybe we didn't have a lot of practical steps on how to identify our vision for our life. But I guess what I hope is that you would, there would be this hunger created where you begin to ask this question, what have I been created for? What breaks my heart? What do I want to re- be remembered for after I'm gone? What are the answers to those questions? Because if you can answer the question, what breaks my heart, oftentimes that is tied to the vision of your life. What breaks your heart? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for the time that we have together as a community of faith. Lord, I thank you for these precious lives that you love and value so deeply. God, I pray today that if we have not identified the vision for our life, if we have not embraced the purpose of our life, that today would be the beginning of that journey for many of us. That we would begin asking the question, God, why are we here on this earth? What do you have for us? Am I going to work day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, still not certain about what I am here to do? God, I pray that you would help us to value those hours and those days and those weeks and those months in our life so that we don't waste any of the precious time that you have given us here on this earth. God, I pray that if there are some today that have never made the step to follow you, to trust in you, to turn from our sins and to receive you into our hearts, that we would do that today because that is the beginning of the journey. That is the beginning of the pathway of life that you have for all of us. God, we thank you for what you're doing in this community. And we pray that we would know in the deepest part of our heart that a community of people empowered by the Holy Spirit is an unstoppable force. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.